Hey, welcome to the Jeff Champions Podcast. This is a, a little bit of a special episode I'm just doing on my own, um, and I'll explain what it's going to be about. One of the goals of this podcast originally was to get into the strategy of the NFBC. Um, this is really my second full season getting into it full-blown, and my goal on this podcast in interacting with all the other players is always to be a sponge and absorbing all the good information I can so I can... Um, utilize it when I'm when I'm drafting and I'm and I'm playing in these leagues um, and all the information I'm going to be talking about here is comes from people that I think are very logical and, and ideas that are logical and ideas that I liked and from people that I respected now look this podcast will be a bit different as I'm going to try to wring out this sponge in about half an hour so everything I've listened to everything everyone I've did everyone I, I've dm'd everything I've read just in the month of January, that I thought was super relevant for competing in the high stakes arena is here. Um, like one caveat though, um, I can't listen to everything and I can't remember everything. So I'm sure I've left some people out. Um, topics I'm going to discuss are mock drafts and draft prep, KDS, mitigating risk, player analysis, targets and projections, Game theory, which is a which is a doozy, and fab. So that's what I'm going to be talking about in this episode. Enjoy. Also, the great thing about this podcast is that if you've missed all the podcasts that were released in January, you don't have to listen to any of them because all the good stuff is right here. Section one of seven: mock drafts and draft preparation. Now, in these segments, I'm just basically going to be quoting people. Um, from my podcast or other podcasts. Um, and um, these quotes were things that I found, found very helpful, and I think you would too. So quote number one on draft prep. This is from my boy, Johnny L. If you tell me I have, to, I have five hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first four hours sharpening my axe. And I think it's very relevant, um, and it's a nice uh, general quote. And forgive me, like I'm paraphrasing in these quotes. Not all these are exact quotes. Um, so I could have I could have a word off here and there. Now, um, I also listened to Phil Dassault talk, and he said that he drafts uh, himself, um, and he drafts um, from each like slot of the draft, like KDS slot, for lack of better terms. And he does this three different times, and he makes sure that he gets different players every time, and then he compares those players to the players that he hasn't drafted, and then he assesses his positional and categorical weaknesses. Um, after that, um, to see if he's light or heavy on a category or if um, uh, he should be drafting other players. Um, so uh, I think this takes away the randomness and inexperience and unreasonableness of mock drafting. That's me personally thinking that. Um, Phil didn't say that. but um, that's, So I, I think that's an excellent idea, and I might, I might um, employ that um, once or twice before I start um, drafting some more. Um, I also heard um, Matt Modica on uh, on Johnny on Johnny's podcast. He said January's for experimenting and getting guys you're comfortable with. February's about finding the guys I wasn't comfortable with coming in. You got to find other options because the board's tightening up, and that's very true. Um, um, like he he goes on to say that um, guys that he liked at certain prices, you're not getting those guys at certain prices anymore. So the board's tightening. You got to come. You got to get out of your comfort zone. Now, those are the those are some good things that I thought um, were relevant for 
preparation and just ideas that were good for preparation. There's some things that um, I've heard not to do, and these are the things that I agree with um, also, and they mainly pertain to mock drafts. So we'll, t- we'll go to a quote from Maddie, Maddie Davis on the Palazzo podcast. He says, mock drafts are completely useless. useless. I politely decline. They're a waste of time. People are not investing their money. People might do stuff out of the ordinary in the magazine drafts where there's nothing at stake. I agree. Um, that's why um, that's why Phil's method might be so uh, valuable, and uh, because you don't have any of that noise. And then um, probably the best quote that I that I've heard about draft preps, draft preparation and mocks are, it's it's from Matt Modica. He said that um, I'd rather go masturbate than do a mock draft. So if you take anything from this segment, you take that. Okay. We'll move on to uh, segment number two. Section number two, KDS. You're at the big table. What seat do you want? Now, that's the question. Um, I think it's been sort of an evolution this year, um, especially for myself as I've done more drafts. And I think drafts are not only practice for who you take, but um, where you want to draft from. Um, is probably one of the bigger things that you, you take out from uh, all these drafts that you're doing, all these like 20, dra- 20 drafts that I've already done. Um, so, uh, like I said, it's been an evolution this year. At first, I wanted an early slot because my reasoning was, um, okay, um, you're going to get a good, you're obviously going to get a player that you want um, in the first round, but I'd rather um, be closer to the, uh, the number one pick than some people getting that want the number five or six pick because... I want that good player in the third round. I want my first choice in the third round because I think there, it, um, a tier sort of runs out at the end of round three. But as the season's progress, as the season progressed, I'm realizing how much um, the starting pitcher landscape sort of evolves as, as the draft season goes on. As a lot of people know, and the starting pitching is moves up um, up the board. And um, what I've noticed is that when I'm on the the two, three turn, picking from the one spot or two spot, the pitching there is just like you're reaching on pitching that you're not getting, you're not getting good value on pitching there. Um, you're, you're, you're stuck with um, good pitchers. Like I like Zach Allen and Kershaw if you like him. And if you're lucky, Woodruff or Flaherty. But um, those guys oftentimes often don't make it there. So I'm finding that I really struggle with my pitching from on that end. Um, um, conversely, on the other end, um, if you do like going pocket aces, uh, drafting on the back end is, is sometimes nice for that uh, because you can probably get two of those aces before it starts falling off. Um, getting into the Woodrow Filarity range, you can probably get two that, the two that you're reasonably comfortable with. Um, but what happens there is that on the 3-4 turn, um, you're going to be hard pressed finding um, shortstop and second base you like in on the three four and the five six turns. So you're either going to be reaching uh, to get one, um, uh, re- um, moving them up ADP quite a lot um, as you get into those other rounds. And I've and I've realized that um, in in drafting, or you're going to have to get lucky and have something fall to you. You're, it's really a bad spot to if if you're if you're inclined to fill your middle infield early which I tend to like to do because the, especially shortstop position falls off so drastically. So in conclusion, myself, I like to, um, I think what I'm, what I'm finding is I want a middle slot somewhere maybe between six and eight right now. 
and it just gives you the flexibility in the draft. So that's that's me. That's what I've that's what I've found based on my experience drafting quite a bit. Um, but um, let's talk about some other guys and what they said. And SP Streamer had um, I don't think he likes to re- be referred to as the, that alias. Um, he likes to be fo- be called his real name. So Michael Michelangelo uh, had a had a charity event where he had Vlad Sedler, uh, Dave McDonald, and Toby on Talking Strategy, and it was great. I listened to it, and you can actually take some uh, good tidbits from there. So they talked about KDS, and when Vlad said that, he said, um, um, the back end, there's some really good hitters um, that fall, um, and, and starting pitchers that they fall there. So if you feel comfortable on the 3-4 turn, it's a good place, but it's different every year. Uh, and he, he, he talks about that... Um, some of the other high-stakes guys, Lindy and Rob Silver, always fight for the back-end spots, whereas he said, just Scott Jenstead wants a middle spot. So that's what he said. Um, it sounded like he kind of was inclined to a back-end spot um, because you can, I guess, maybe the, the uniformity of the, of the value in that first round, you might as well get two guys there. Um, Dave um, said that he wants a middle spot between 5 and 10. Um, like... Um, what he's looking for is he's looking for a guy in the first round that's like a late first round guy that that um, um, that sh- that or, or um, he's, he said I want a guy that's a late first that should be an early first and a second rounder who should be a first rounder so that's where um, that's where he like that's where he'd like to um, that's why he liked to be in the middle and for him last year was uh, J Ram and Bieber so he was able to get J Ram in the first round and Bieber in the second round. Pretty easily, um, J Ram from the middle spot. Uh, he was usually a late first rounder, but um, he valued him higher, and you get the idea with Bieber. Um, so I guess um, towards the end of the first, he said he likes Bauer um, in in the early second, but it's really hard to pass in the five category bats. Um, so if you're like at six, to, if you're like a six or seven pick, then he's looking at Trey Turner. And then he also said, he also reiterated the point that I made about, um, I guess we both agree on the fact that you just get more, more, more value falls to you in the middle. Now, um, Toby, he said that he, he was challenging that if you, if you have the, if you have an idea on players you want, he's like, I'd rather be aggressive versus being passive. So like, basically what he's saying is he, he'd rather just like, if he wants a pitcher, you know, he wants to go double aces, like he's not going to bank on these pitchers being there in the back end of the first round because he knows how much pitching gets pushed up. So, um, really like, um, like he's, he, he's concerned about getting that la- missing out on that second end of the pocket aces, the back end. So like Woodruff would be the last person he, he likes. So he likes the three, four turn, um, as well, but the, but the starting pitchers um, around the one, like the one hundred and five mark that he likes, are gone. So then it's a waiting game for him, like we saw in our battle of the podcast. What happened to him on the on the on the like he was picking from the fourteenth spot, I believe, and he he ran out of pitchers he liked, and he waited until I think round thirteen or fourteen uh, when he took like Dallas Keuchel and Drew Smiley there. So. Um, in a nutshell, what he's saying is, he I think he'd rather be earlier just to make sure that he he locks up that ace because you don't know how you don't know how far these pitchers are going to get pushed up in these drafts. So that's that's what I got to say about KDS. Moving on to the third topic. Topic number three. This is a short one. Mitigating risk. And I just I just found two quotes that were that were relevant when when you're talking about managing risks um, in a, in a draft. 
One was from Matt Modica on Pole Hitter. He said, you're going to be wrong. You just got to be right a lot more. And it sounds simple, but if you think about it, it's, it's, it's true. Um, and then, of course, we can't talk about risk without mentioning our buddy Dave. Uh, when he was talking on the SP Streamer uh, feed, he, he was saying that I don't take anyone over 35 years old in the first couple of rounds unless there's an extreme exception. And he didn't just say that there. He's, he's said this everywhere. Um, but what he did, he did, he did have a great explanation for this. He said, you're not going to win a league because Scherzer is slightly better than Woodruff, for example. But you are going to lose by um, you're, you're you're not going to lose by passing on him. But the risk associated with losing him due to health or skill will push you to losing a lot more than than passing on him. Section four: Player analysis. So this is going to talk about certain positions or players or types of players that um, there's specific commentary about. So um, first thing um, that people tended to, uh, tended to touch on. Um, tend to touch on, I don't know, um, was closers. Um, and Dave was talking about this, um, again, um, continuing on the, the strategy conversation. He said, closers, um, it's more about the role than the skill. And he also went on to say that they're the poorest drafted position. It's not the skills, it's the opportunity. Kind of like running back in, in football. Um, I, I just added that. He didn't say that. I added that in. So that might be it might be even more um, wise than what he was saying. What he was saying, but um, he goes on to say. Um, so cut back to Dave. Um, he said, um, "What the manager thinks is paramount. Early on, I want to see one of the first. Uh, I want to see one of the first guys I feel good about. A guy like Diaz has his skills, but not the leash. The biggest waste of fab is speculating on closers. You need that money to add guys to, um, to and to add other positions." And you got to have something left at the end of the year. You need to. You can't run out. Uh, so that's why it's important of dra- uh, the importance of recognizing the role of the closer. Um, and um, Toby, um, I don't know if this is conversely or if he's agreeing, but he had he had a, he had uh, something slightly different to say about it. He said that he, he you're going to leave a draft with a weakness, and one of his will be the closer. So he doesn't want to invest a lot of draft capital. Now Dave's talking about fab capital. Toby's not going to waste a lot of draft capital because every season is a small sample and there's a lot of volatility. And Toby's very um, interested in volatility and when, and when 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 trends sort of even out and become uh, sticky. And um, I guess it's hard to see that with closers. Um, so what he what he'll do is he said I'll target two guys I know have a role, but you don't feel great about. So I guess um. Uh, Someone this year I, that would be an example would be maybe be Richard Rodriguez, even though like I've heard that he might not be the closer, but like he has like the role or maybe Crichton on the on the Diamondbacks or um, maybe Kimbrel, right? Somebody like Kimbrel or like um, Kenley Jansen. You don't feel great about Kimbrel or Jansen, but they're not going to cost you that much. So um, he, he's just saying that he, he's not going to spend a lot in the draft. Um, changing the topic away from closers... Um, just another tidbit that Toby talked about was, I don't know if this really fits in this player analysis sec- section. I just put it here. It was just an interesting thing that he, that he, that I picked on that picked up on that. He said this, um, this month was that he said that he thinks JT real Muto's price will finally be reflective of his value this year. So that's pretty much an indication that he's saying that you're paying full pot for me on this year. Like I've seen him go in the second, like the end of the second round. And, um, I've heard other people talk about, um, and rightly so, the injury risk 
uh, with the catchers is is far greater. But again, like um, if you're dealing with a scarce commodity like the catcher position or stolen bases or any type of pitching or closers, there's going to be risks. So um, risk of losing that player to injury or, or poor performance. So um, I think um, you gotta you gotta you gotta realize that yeah, like it's not going to be. I mean, there's going to be some risk associated with drafting a catcher, drafting a pitcher, drafting stolen bases because they're diving and sliding everywhere like Buxton and Trey Turner. They have a higher propensity to injure themselves. So I think it's just, it's just the nature of the beast in these, in these drafts. Um, and um, one last item on player analysis, and we'll talk about prospects. One thing that um, Jeff Zimmerman said on the Launch Angle pros- uh, podcast, he said, I'm not high on prospects to begin with. Um, the teams usually tell us what happened. Um, that's all you can really bank on. He's like, I want to see. I want to see the miners get started so we can see what they're doing, how fast they're throwing, etc. I'm, I'm right now. He said he's just concentrating on major leaguers. So like, I think he's basically what he was saying more than ever this year because there really wasn't a minor leagues. He's essentially fo- focusing his efforts on analyzing major leaguers and, and not minor leaguers. So um, I would I would venture to say he wouldn't have a lot of prospects on his team. Next section I'm going to talk about is targets and projections. Now, Derek Cardi has a projection system. Ariel Cohen has a projection system. There's Steamer. There's other projection systems. These people built projection systems, but they didn't build them for the league you're playing in. They're related, but you need to do the legwork to relate them. I don't know if I'm saying that properly, but they're related, but they don't mirror each other. So that's that's an important thing to realize about these projections. So you got you got to you got to massage them. Um, and um, couple, there's it's surprising projections are a big topic of conversation. Um, Zimmerman on Launch Angle um, when you, when asked him about, when he was asked about weighing 2020, basically what he said is I'm just trusting the projections for hitters. Um, because I can't scout a hitter. Um, aside from that, I'll look at swing changes and, and stuff like that. But um, if you listen to um, uh, Govier's Palazzo podcast, he had um, he had um, Alex Chamberlain on, and he he said there's blind spots in these projections. So um, and they're largest for the guys that um, furthest from the average and skill metrics. So for example, contact management, high BABIP guys. Um, and um, so guys like your Hendricks and your Grinkies, they're always going to outperform their metrics because they're they're the furthest from they're the furthest furthest from the average of these skill metrics. Um, and I just listened to one uh, podcast tonight with um, Maddie Maddie Davis and Draft Sheet, and they, they they did a good job of kind of debunking some of these projections. And Matt was saying something about Sal Perez being projected for thirty home runs, but um, in one of the projection systems, I forget which one. But he's like 30 years old and never had a season more than 27 home runs, and he's always injured. So, yeah, like there's definitely questionable items in these projections. And I think um, um, Pete was saying about Kalenic, his his average is just it's just whacked in these projections. It doesn't make any sense, and I agree with him there. Um, also, you'll see like just the you look. What I do is I'm I'm trying to. I'm trying to pick away at these projections and see which ones don't make sense. Like these guys are too. And I, one guy I noticed was Justin Turner. Um, and I think I talked to Rob DiPietro about it um, on this podcast. And I said, if you look at his 
um, plate appearances per game um, from when he was on the Dodgers. So like in his prime from when he was 30 to 36 years old, he was averaging like 3.8 plate appearances per game. And he was batting in a primo position. He was in the prime of his career. Like he's not going to get any better, I don't think. Um, but um, he, um, in in all the projection systems that are on fan graphs, he's like projected at like 4.3 rather than 3.8 plate appearances per game. So I'm like, how can that be? Like, I don't like, I don't see him hitting in a better lineup spot or in a better lineup than he has been the last like six or seven years. So there's only there's only room to go down. He's 37 years old, like the track record of 37 year olds with that skill set. Um, it's not great. Um, um, him and Guriel and Votto are going into their age 37 season. Um, granted, like he, like I I was talking to the guys today and I, I said Turner is one of only four players that was like um, that had, that that was 70th percentile or more in um, in like all of these um, Statcast metrics and he, he was in he was in the company of Soto. Freeman and Machado, and then there's uh, Justin Turner. But yeah, enough about him. Um, more about projections. Um, so, uh, like, akin to what um, um, Chamberlain was saying, Bloomfield, I was, was also listening to him um, on the same podcast, Mike's podcast, and he said there's a subset of pitchers that can limit hard contact and exceed projections. So he's talking about the same thing. I don't think we have hard evidence to say a guy is the next Kyle, Hend- Kyle Hendricks unless he does it five years in a row, but then it's too late. So it's hard to distinguish that from fluctuations, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and then um, Toby said, I don't, I don't remember where he said this, probably on the, on the Mike Simeone um, charity event. He said projections don't factor in BABIPs, which will uh, not be as high in the major leagues due to scouting and shifts, et cetera. So that's a reason why some players might be projected for a higher rabbit and i think he was probably shitting on vladi at that time um jokingly um so how do you massage these uh, projections and targets um zimmerman said he never looks at splits um at all so like i guess splits are one of the things that could could, could um sway projections in that um when you're when you take a guy who's who's in a platoon split so say jock peterson and you're trying to extrapolate his split. Um, you try to you try to forecast his new slash line um, across at bats versus lefties and righties, and you're just using his at bats versus righties because he was never let to see um, lefties. Um, um, that could be a problem. So um, Zimmerman saying that it takes about uh, a thousand. I you know what? I'm pretty sure it was him saying. I have a lot of notes here, so I apologize if I'm mixing and matching people what they say, but essentially it takes um, a thousand plate appearances for it to stabilize. A lefty is better or worse versus left-handed pitchers versus the previous year. It likely regresses to the mean. It means which, um, it means more what teams intend to do. So even, even though Lowe, Brandon Lowe has even splits, if he struggles, the first thing they're going to do is to bump him down versus lefties. So he, um, So I guess the theory there would be bump down lefties in your rankings. Um, if you do one thing um, that you can do every week is go to baseball reference and look at the lineup pages and see what's changed. That's the one thing that can help you the most in season, finding out who's playing and who's not. So just looking at lineups um, and especially the players that, um, that are falling into platoons. So that like 
massaging the playing time is really key um, with these projections. So Phil Dassault on the Best Ball Podcast with uh, Brian said um, about his projections, he said, with the short season, I wanted more control over the projections. So he said he looked at the last four seasons and used these stats from only August to September, so just at two months, and saw how that projected the following season. So this helped him draft before the projections came out. So if you're like Phil and you have the ability to do stuff like that and you're really good with Excel and um, are really smart, then you can do stuff like that. I found that interesting. And he also said that what he did say about the projections that are available to the public uh, for purchase or whatever, um, he said those will get you about average. But if you can project playing time, that is where you get the edge. It's a playing time projections. This idea, and he said this idea came from like other people, um, like and he, just from listening to podcasts and stuff. And he said he has a formula where he looks at um, last year, looking at pitch mix, and I assign a number uh, to that and how much um, he would have overperformed. He said your edge can be every, anything, pitching, news, et cetera, like, et cetera. Um, and like Zimmerman's minding the news. Um, very, very much the same comment. Um, I was listening to DVR on the Palazzo podcast, and he said that if you can predict playing time, you get an edge. So he's saying the same thing. Um, he's like, if if you just use the projections in and of themselves, you will build a middle-of-the-pack team because you're building a team the way um, everyone else is. So you want to get that edge somewhere. And finally on projections, our, our boy Zola on the Rotowire podcast, he was talking about projections and um working towards targets. So he said, if you do draft towards targets, don't sweat it if you aren't winning after six rounds. In fact, if you are, you should worry the other teams haven't fully um, constructed the, uh, their team yet. And he went on to say that not to take a guy who steals in the 18th round just because you can gain points in the standings at a certain day. The problem is with ratios are that the nine guys you draft are not the nine guys that are going to be used throughout the year. Ratios are going to get worse. So using the projections on those nine starters isn't going to give you the full picture. It's more about the construction than the raw stats. All right, let's skip to Fab uh, because we'll leave game theory to last because it's the longest one. Now, Fab, um, let's go on to Matty Davis on the Pole Hitter podcast. He said, every day, start clicking people you're interested in, dropping people you know you're going to cut. Um, because it is it does take you a long time on Sunday. So just start doing it every day. Start working on a piece by piece every day. Be lenient in terms of the, trimming the fat at the bottom. Turn and burn. You need to be complacent in free agency. Success in these leagues is through fab. Now, that Vlad Sedler um, said, and he is awesome with fab, he said a common mistake is having a set number of positions when you draft. So he's talking about drafting in um, anticipation of fab here. So he's taking it to another level. Um, it's about who you're trying, it's, it's about what you're trying to fill at the, at the end. You don't want to have more than one bench stab that you that you can hold for a bit. So a rookie or an injury. If you've taken like a rookie or an injury through the first, um, sorry, if you haven't taken a rookie or an injury for the first twenty seven rounds, you can take a shot at the end, at the end, or um, you can take a stab at a relief pitcher in waiting, um, someone that might get the closer role. Um, but I guess it's just hard to to hold or to stash more than one person is what he's saying. Um, and they also, the hard part is how long do you wait for these guys to come up? So if you, if you draft Kalenic, how long are you going to wait for him? Um, if someone's hitting high in the lineup, um, and on a good team with, uh, stability, it's really hard to give up on them. So like a guy like, um, uh, um, 
well, a guy you wouldn't want to give up um, last year was Corbin Burns for the, for the first little while. I know people that let him go. That doesn't, that's not really, uh, that doesn't really go along with his example of somebody hitting high in the order, but um, you got it's really hard to decide when to give up on someone. Um, uh, Dave McDonald said that he wants to stream hitters more than pitch, more than pitchers. There's a lot less downside in streaming hitters, but the upside is huge. Like a, like a course field or a pl- platoon versus all righties, like a Schwarber versus all righties or a jock versus all righties, or I don't know, they'll probably be rostered this year, but you get what I'm saying. Um, and then Toby said that he wants to look at the schedule before the season starts and then just start loading up on maybe one, two, three, I don't know, starting pitchers that have a couple good matchups to start the season. So um, it will save you fab there. All right, the last segment I want to talk about is game theory. It's really just draft strategy. Let's call it um, game theory because it sounds fancy. Um, but this year, like obviously, like the starting, the starting pitching getting moved up, the pocket aces is a, is a big... Um, is is a big topic of conversation, um, but there's other elements to it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go into just any strategic advice that I've heard um, just this month, and um, just um, start listing some things. So um, one thing I heard from Matt Davis is that um, he's saying if you draft Ozzy Albies and he bats fifth, well, if you draft Ozzy Albies where he's going in the second or third round and he bats fifth, you're going to be disappointed. He said when I shop in the first or second round. I want to just swipe my credit card or debit card and not worry about it. So basically, he wants to get something a lot. He wants to know what he's getting in the first or second round. Don't draft, don't draft a player whose key traits, say batting order position, are unknown right now. So I, he, can, he can sort of make the same argument for Bellinger, right? Like Bellinger's not, Bellinger could hit fifth or sixth, so I'd ask him the question, why not? Be cautious of Bellinger if you're going to be cautious of Albies. Anyways, um, Dave McDonald said um, on my podcast, he said basically what you're doing is you're, um, this is just general draft strategy. You're setting yourself up for later. Our goal, and he speaks in the plural with him, for him and Jake sometimes, um, is to keep ourselves flexible. Um, so there's never a point in the draft where we're taking a player, not because we like them, but because we have to take them because that's what we need. The whole point is to find pockets of value for each position where the player's strengths meet your needs. That's awesome advice. And it's funny that um, someone else said something very, very similar. And that's Ariel Cohen on the Rotowire podcast this month. He said that you have to, when you plan for your draft, see where the pockets of value are. See, he's using that same term, pockets of value. And for shortstop, for the shortstop position, it might be you need to take someone up the top. So, so many stolen bases and unique categories you need to grab. But there are a couple guys somewhere in the middle, but you don't want to wait to the end. Get the middle infield in the middle where he is value and what he, it, where he is value for what he's going to produce for you. Next guy I'm going to shift over to is Zola when he was on uh, Rob's podcast. Um, he's talking about team construction. This goes along with your strategy. He said in a, in a DC, he wants to be pitcher heavy. He wants to have 23 pitchers, uh, but he could have up to, up to 26 depending on the multi-eligibility multi characteristics of his hitters and um, the safety of those hitters. Um, he said, this year, I'm heavy early, avoid the middle, and go hard at the end with streamers. In a DC, I could go with more relievers because they're more stable. As far as catchers go, for Zola, he likes to get two guys on the same team that play fairly equally. 
Um, the pick is commensurate. The, the pick is commensurate with their contribution. But if one gets hurt, the other one's so much better. Like in best ball, he was all over JTR due to his volume and how he um, how he's mispriced. But in the DC, he's less inclined to, to pay for a catcher. Um, for catchers, he wants a minimum of four, but sometimes five. Um, more often than not, four. Um, the later you take them, the less um, you expect from them, and um, the less you lose when they get injured. Um, so he, he said he pounds catchers in the high teens and low 20s, in the low 20 rounds. So at the, at the end of, like, he's generally getting them as a couple of his last, um, his two starting catchers are probably two of his last starters on the team. Um, he said, at some point during a 23-round draft, at some point, someone is going to be available that you want that fits your team at each position. There are a lot of bad second basemen, and if you take them in the 22nd round, you have someone worthy of a 22nd round pick. So you're basically paying a cheap price for a bad player. That's, and these, the pool is basically deep enough that you can, that you can do stuff like that. Um, um, and then taking calculated risks on, like, um, on younger or injured players. So basically, he's saying that he wants, he's not really worried about, like, he's not, to paraphrase what he's saying, he's saying, like, I don't really care that I have a bad second baseman um, because I paid a cheap price for it. I'm more worried about filling in, um, taking shots at those risks, like those upside risks to get, to, to get a payout on them. So he's looking to, basically what he said, he's looking to fill traits like, um, a trait would be like uh, Alex Kirillov would be like a, a prospect that should be up very soon. That would be a trait. So he's looking for traits, not so much. He doesn't so much that he cares. He doesn't so much care that he's an outfielder. Um, and he goes on to say, it's one thing to rank someone at a certain point, but if you aren't taking them at that point, there's something wrong with your rankings. If I'm ranking by classification and I'm passing on that player, I'm passing on the trait at that point, not the player. So the trait, like if he's passing on Granky. It's like he, he can justify um, passing on Granky because he's, he's passing on that trait. It's not time to take that trait of an aging pitcher who's probably going to suck this year. Um, but if he had rankings and he had Zach Granky at a certain point in his rankings, he couldn't justify not taking it. So it's a good way to, it's a good way to have people not bug you about um, when, you, when you publish stuff and then you diverge from your, um, diverge from your um, I guess, rankings. Um, in, in, um, in practice. Um, he said, uh, also, you don't want to get too myopically focused on team construct and ignore good players. You have 26 weeks. If he's, if he's way better, than, if he's a way better player, take him. And then he also said, tracking targets is a waste of time. This maybe this should have, maybe I should have put this in the projections, uh, segment, segment, but too late. Um, he said, I've never lost a draft. If you, if you don't leave the draft with the best team based on your own expectations and your own projections, there's something wrong. He's like, I fail to see how a team's better if you're drafting towards a target. So um, he's not in favor of drafting towards targets. I know other people like Toby are. Let's go on to Matt Modica. When he was on Johnny L's podcast, he started talking about strategy and team construct a bit. Um, and he said at around pick 150, He's like, I'm not looking at pitching. I want to have three starters before pick 150. In, um, in the first 18 picks, he said he wants about seven or eight pitchers. So that's, we're talking team construct here, and that's just general um, what he's thinking, especially in a DC because uh, you're not picking up guys. You need that foundation. Um, 
draft guys that are really like he doesn't mind um, after you got your first aces or whatever to draft guys that are really good on a per inning basis that can turn into something better. So like I guess you're like Arias's and um, Lizardo's. Um, like of course you can take shots on older guys that should have a rotation spot like way way later on. But I think he's more focused on like the skill set um, earlier, like in the mid rounds. Um, um, another um, little uh, strategy tidbit was from Bloomfield on Govier's podcast. He said that he basically tries to come up with reasons not to draft people. Um, so it's important to avoid the landmines. That's sort of the Casey Chaw method. Just um, eliminate a lot of your draft pool, which is something that I like to do as well, or I like to try to do. There's certain players that are just not going to draft um, for one for, because I've, I've found something about them that I just don't like where they're going or their um, skill set is very much matched with someone going a lot later than them. Um, going on to what Ryan said, he said, my goal is to pick holes in every player while using other smart people's projections. The guys I can poke the fewest holes in those guys are the guys that I want to target until I get to the middle of the draft where most players have holes. Rounds eight to 15 are where the leagues are run because are, are, are where are where the leagues are won because a lot of those players have warts. So guys like Dylan Moore, he's not a perfect player. There's not a perfect player. There's holes in his game for sure. But it's a matter of picking those players. Like that's, that's where you win the leagues. And I was looking at the leagues um, the DC leagues from last year, and I'm looking at different teams, teams, um, drafters that have historically done well, um, drafters that that did well last year but may have not have done um, well other years. I'm just looking at good teams, and yeah, you see those players. You see like the Kenta Maeda's last year. You see the Zach Zach Zach's last year. So um, it, it's very important to hit on your pitching somewhere. Um, you need to hit on it. So if you if you, you can do the pocket aces approach or you can get three starters in the first five rounds. And um, if they hit, then that's going to be extremely helpful to you. But if, but if you go a hit, a hitter heavy approach or you get some bad luck in pitching, you're going to need to hit, it seemed, on the pitching later. So you're going you're, you're gonna to need to hit on your Zach Bieber the year he broke, up, broke out. You're going you're gonna to need to hit your Maeda like this past year. You're going to need to hit your Corbin Burns um, last year. Um, so yeah, so that those rounds are, are where you, where you win or lose the draft. So it's about finding those players that, um, in those rounds that aren't going to crush you and potentially the ones that are going to turn into those, um, very, very valuable players. Um, buddy Dave McDonald again on his own podcast said that, um, just again, shifting gears to a different part of the strategy. Um, he's talking about rabbits like your D Gordon, D Gordon, Malik Smith, um, this year, like, I don't know, like, Roman Quinn and, and, and uh, Miles Straw, like, I like them in my, in deep in these drafts, but, like, really, like, what's their upside? Like, if you're not going to, if you're not going to even want to entertain D Gordon when he, ha- he has just as much of a chance to have a role as these guys did last year, then why are you, why are you drafting these guys? Um, I worry a little bit to be, like, a, like a, a like a stare, I I worry a little bit about um, Tapia this year, being like a rabbit on steroids. So he's like not just he's not like a true rabbit, but he's sort of like a rabbit on steroids. Like, do I really like really want him? Like he's not gonna, he's really gonna drag you down in home runs and RBIs most likely. Um, so is he just like a basically a glorified Malik Smith? 
like slightly better. I don't know. I haven't looked into them quite enough, but that's something I'm going to look into. Um, anyways, I'm back to what Dave was talking about. Um, these rabbits are likely going to be moved down to the order because, or benched or cut because they're just not good. Um, so like, again, he goes on to say, they're also hurting your home runs in RBI. Um, you're taking away from your earlier picks that you sold when you sold out for power. So the problem is power is available later in the draft. So this is something that's talked about a lot. No pick is in a vacuum. You have to fill all your positions. So you want to fill the positions early that, that are tough to fill later on and wait on the positions that are easy to fill later. So for him, it's outfield and first base. You can find so many viable starters later on. So basically he's saying that he, wait, he waits on outfield and first base because he's finding guys like your um, Evan White or I don't know if that's the guy that, I don't know if that's the guy that he likes. Um, and outfielders um, that you can just find later on. Um, Mitch, Han- I'm just Mitch Hanniger. Um, whereas when you're, where you're drafting Evan White, Mitch Hanniger, um, guys like that, um, the, you're not going to get the same production production from second baseman and shortstops at that range. Like shortstop, you're not going to find a good one probably in too much after pick 200. Whereas you can get those guys after pick 300, and then. Um, Jake uh, goes on to say that there, 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 seems to, there seems like there's a lot of these guys um, you'll see every two, one or two rounds in these late rounds, like, you're, like I'm talking about, like, um, like your Hanagers, if, 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 that's, if that's an outfielder that you want to target late, just as an example. But he's saying that you're going to see them, they're not going to be like all over the place in the later rounds. So you're, you're, and you're not going to be their only suitor. Everyone knows about these guys. You know, everyone knows the outfielders and first basemen that are going to get you production late. Joey Votto. Um, so in a competitive draft, don't just get complacent is what Jake's saying and say, oh, I can get my outfielders and first basemen later. You're probably going to have to jump them a little bit. I think it was on the launch angle when Toby was talking to Zimmerman. They were talking about strategy. And um, Toby was talking. He, he, he uses percentiles and... Um, um, he's saying that in the main event in 2019, 80th percentile for, um, I think it was stolen bases or 123, which is about nine and a half stolen bases per person. So assuming, and he's also assuming you're not getting many from catcher, first base or third base in most circumstances. So you're going to need a lot of stolen bases from your, your shortstop, second base, outfield and utility. That's another reason. And now I'm going off, Toby didn't say this, but that's another reason why Filling your utility spot with a Stanton or a J.D. Martinez or a Franmil Reyes or a Jordan Alvarez really is going to um, handcuff you when um, if you're not getting any stolen bases from those other positions like first like the corners and catcher. Um, so that's just something to be cognizant of. It's that's going to really handcuff you, especially like in a draft and hold where you're going to maybe want to shift players up and stuff like that um so he said normally he's hyper focused on speed and average early so i don't have to get the bench bats that steal um get it early with profiles that aren't going to hurt you elsewhere so like he's going to be he's going to be on guys like tim anderson whit merrifield um guys like that and he and he likes jtr because he steals bases too and he, he likes to he obviously everyone knows that he likes catcher and um and, and uh targets in there um, so he, he said, um, also look where you can get it elsewhere. So guys like Victor Robles, Tavares, Lorenzo Cain, even if you do draft these guys, um, you have to have compensated earlier or later. So if you do draft like 
like like a Leo de Tavares, you're going to have to compensate for what he doesn't give you, either from what you already drafted or later on. Um, so if you draft power early without the average and stolen bases, it presents a roster construction problem later. The power profiles are not available with the same certainty, but they are available later off waivers. Um, so the average and stolen bases are really difficult to find um, a balanced profile. I find myself, well, Toby, he said he finds himself drafting, he, st- he finds himself leaving drafts um, with home runs as, we- as his weakest category because he's really f- hyper-focused on the other categories. Um, you, need, you need a balanced profile with power. So um, he's looking to maybe find that off waivers or, or put it together some other way. Um, um, the guys... Um, the guys with the balanced profiles have a lot more ways to provide value. So there's a lot of avenues to provide you with value. Even if they don't provide steals, they're still going to hit you for, they're still going to hit for a good average. So it's a matter, it's a matter of spreading the risk is what he's saying. Um, and um, a lot of other people have talked um, about um, the strategy of drafting positions and stats and drafting backwards. I've had people on my podcast, Kevin Hastings, um, Tomini, the uh, the main event winner from last year, then they they preach backing draft or backing uh, drafting. Sorry, I'm si- I'm trying to say drafting backwards backwards. Um, drafting backwards is really an important uh, thing they employ, um, and you see examples of it. There's so many examples of it, be it positions, be it stats. Um, even I saw something that um, Eric Cross posted today or yesterday about um, how he was. Targeting Vaughn or uh, Alex Kirillov rather than rather than Kalenic because he, he's he's saying you can get that same risk profile later on in the draft. He's not talking about they they get you different it's different. Well, Vaughn is a different position than Kalenic. Vaughn's a first baseman and Kalenic's an outfielder, and um, they're not getting the same stats in their skill set. But in terms of the the risk profile you're taking with a player that's not going to which might not be helping you for the first um, X weeks. X number of weeks in the season, um, you're getting that player 70 or more picks later. So that's working backwards. So that's a, that's a strategy where you'd pass on Kalenic and you'd wait and you'd grab one of the other two guys. And I'll end off here uh, on Jeff Zimmerman, um, him talking on the Launch Angle podcast, and he said some very valuable things. Um, so he, what he says is he wants a base of some steals in his first couple picks. Eight steals per person. He used eight. Toby used the... Um, the, the 80th percentile, which I think worked out to the 9.5. But anyways, he's Jeff saying that it just dries up and there's no speed at the bottom of second base, for example. So if you don't, if you don't get one of them early, you're going, to take, you're going to take one of them late and you're not going to get anything. So you got to know where you're going to get your steals from. And he says your outfield almost always has to get you some. Um, so it's really hard to get an Aaron Judge. And let me just focus on that for a second. And what he means by that, it's really hard to draft an Aaron Judge because you have those roster spots. You have um, 13 or 14 roster spots. Um, I think it's four, you have 14 hitter roster spots and every one of them you have to put a peg into a hole. So what he's saying is it's really like putting pegs into the outfield. You really can't waste pegs with no stolen bases into those holes. You gotta, you gotta make sure that um, it, it's great that Aaron Judge is, um, if you look at his 
projections and you put his projections into an auction calculator, it's going to get you something good if he's healthy. However, um, that looking at that um, in a vacuum is not all that valuable because you need to put five pegs into those outfielders' holes. And if you can't, if those pegs don't have stolen bases in them, the pegs that are going into first base, catcher, third base, they're definitely not going to have any stolen bases in them. So despite the fact that Aaron Judge will spit out a value in an auction calculator that's good if he's healthy, it's going to, it's really going to hurt your overall team construct. So um, he also says the worst thing is not having a plan. And then you, and then you go and hope that when your, your bench bat gets a stolen base or the, the people on your bench are going to contribute to stolen bases. And then one of the things he said was to look at the team construct um, uh, or team approach, the team approach for stolen bases. So if somebody gets signed by the Mariners or the, or the Padres, then obviously they're going to have um, a better chance of accumulating some stolen bases. So um, he's saying that if, if he's getting power early, it's got to come with something else. Like even give me five steals or I guess a good batting average. It's got to, you got to give me something with the power early on. Um, also, he, he's saying that he, he tracks catcher. And he's saying at a certain point, those catchers give you nothing. And in fact, they drag you down at a certain point. So he wants to make sure that he, he finds that point where the catchers start to give you nothing and get the two before then. Um, and he's also saying that projections, uh, going back to stolen bases, do a very poor job of adjusting down uh, for stolen bases or for decreasing the projection for stolen bases as players get older. Uh, so you got to look at that. And um, platoon hitters, they project for more plate appearances in these projections. They do not do a good job of lowering projections for hitters with platoon splits. So that goes along to the earlier point that they, um, they might projections have a tendency to say Jock Peterson as an example this year. He's going to be hitting against both lefties and righties. They're not going to adjust platoon splits in his projections as well as um, should be. So that's it. I don't know if that was helpful or not, but those are all the things that I found very useful when I was listening um, to various podcasts um, this month. So thanks for listening. Um, Essentially, this strategy is what I really want to talk about. So hit me up. Um, send me a DM if you want to discuss any of this stuff, if you want to come on this podcast to talk about any of this stuff, because this is what I'm super interested in. This is what I think will bring someone from a, an average player to a player that can consistently win. It's about applying this, um, this information. That's, that's what I think you need to do. Um, I think, I think this is more valuable than analyzing specific players, doing rankings. I think this, this is how you win. So again, thanks again for listening and talk to you guys later.